Welcome to North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. My guest today is the Senior Analyst in Horticulture for Rabobank Rabo Research. He's responsible for analyzing the U.S. and North American fresh fruit and vegetable in- industries. Uh, with a strong background in agriculture, he previously served as Deputy Director of Economic Research for FIRA Banco de Mexico, conducting comprehensive analysis on the ag sector for over a decade. And his Expertise spans ag market integration, consumer trends in fresh produce markets, food security, and food price dynamics. Additionally, he has experience as a professor at Tecnologico in Monterey. He holds a bachelor's degree in, um, and along with a master's degree and a PhD in agriculture economics from Texas A&M University as well. And I had the pleasure of hearing him speak last fall at the Association of Agriculture Consultants Conference in Fresno, California, where he gave a very insightful report on the economy and the state of the industry. Today, we're going to discuss the current issues facing producers, particularly in veg and specialty crops, but also how it affects the larger economy. From uh, Fresno, California, I would like to welcome David Magana. Welcome, David, and thank you so much for being here. I really look forward to this conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the invite. Uh, yeah, definitely a lot of uh, a lot a lot of things had happened, uh, impacting not only agribusiness but the general economy as a whole, and also consumers and how do we things and how do we 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 buy, we eat, and and, and we do business. So. Um, yeah, excited to uh, for this opportunity and uh, looking forward to the discussion. Awesome. So let's start out with your background. You grew up as a farm boy in central Mexico. Tell us about that. Yeah, that, that's great. I grew up on a small diversified farm in, in, in central Mexico, mostly uh, growing corn and also some vegetables. Then I had the opportunity to go to an ag school in, in Mexico and then I got a couple of graduate degrees in ag economics from uh, Texas A&M University. So I've been involved with that all my life. And uh, now uh, what I do is I'm the senior analyst covering fresh fruits, vegetables, and tree nuts for Rabo Research. I'm based in California. I've been with the bank for the past six years, but I've been doing this type of applied economic research on agribusiness for the past 20 years. Great. And prior to joining Rabo Research, you served as deputy director, as I said, um, for Banco de Mexico, focusing on egg sector analysis. So can you share some key insights or experiences from your time in that role that shaped your approach to analyzing the fresh produce market here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my role was uh, about uh, covering the all the agribusiness uh, segment. So all the way from uh, farm inputs to uh, including uh, other sectors such as sugar, animal protein, and obviously uh, fresh produce as well. And then I had uh, I was conducting research and also delivering some presentations all across Mexico. And then I I got the opportunity to be part of the Rabo research and then just specialized in in, in one sector. This is uh, 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 the one that I mentioned, fresh produce, and uh, getting to be familiar with uh, a lot of exciting industries here in Central California. Uh, So yeah, my my, my previous experience was uh, uh, very uh, useful 
to uh, take on these uh, on my current role. Right. Yeah. And your your presentation that I mentioned last fall was titled Economic Forces Shaping the Future of U.S. Agribusiness, Short-Term Challenges and Long-Term Opportunities. It was an excellent presentation. And you mentioned in that presentation that the industry is facing pressure from various factors, inflation, regulatory changes, conflicting consumer demands, which is something I never really thought about. So how do you see all of these pressures impacting our industry? Yeah, like uh, if we do a recap of what has been happening over the past few years, we see uh, this massive collision of uh, forces between the supply side uh, with um, uh, pressures on on resources, particularly uh, some regulations, uh, water challenges, uh, land constraints, labor challenges as well. And as we observed over the uh, two years ago, uh, a severe crisis in terms of logistics bottlenecks. So lack of availability of containers, very expensive to ship uh, for from 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 U.S. ports and from, and globally, and uh, that uh, uh, also colliding with a strong demand side forces. So yeah, but I mean just like. Global middle class continues to increase, and uh, consumer expectations are um, are higher now. So, so um, we have this uh, massive collision between supply side constraints and demand side forces that led us to um, uh, multi decade uh, inflation uh, over the past two uh, years. So, um, if we Take into consideration what happened in 2022. Uh, in many sectors, in many geographies, uh, we had these challenges in terms of logistic constraints, uh, yeah, very elevated input prices, severe drought, uh, for example, in, in, in California and in other places as well. And uh, as I said, lack of availability of containers that um, didn't allow the industry to export as much as was needed and impacted uh, some uh, industries more than others, particularly the tree-nut industry in California that relies heavily on export markets. So moving into 2023, we saw um, a, a change in the set of challenges. So we went from very dry conditions in 2022, uh, deficit irrigation, uh, severe drought, to having um, a year ago in 2023, pollination challenges, uh, a series of atmospheric rivers that hit California. And then growers went from being uh, in two dry conditions to then being dealing with floodings and uh, trying to maximize water recharge. Uh, so uh, seemingly, a very different set of challenges in terms of um, on, on growing conditions. But at the same time, another set of challenges remained similar, which is persistent inflation, elevated interest rates, consumers trading down given these uh, sticky consumer prices. And still, we were discussing with any economist and they were still saying, uh, yeah, we see a, 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 a potential recession in the cards, and they've been saying that for the past two years. Uh, yeah. So 
basically we've been like the industry has been facing now some demand challenges and uh, margin pressures in in in, um, in in different industries. Now, like probably it's a good it's a good segue to uh, discuss about the uh, how some macroeconomic variables have been moving over the past few months and what we expect for 2024. So uh, as, I, as I said uh, before, just like uh, persistent inflation was uh, uh, the, the conversation of every day for the past two years. And now we've seen that after reaching um, uh, the highest level in four decades, the consumer price index, the CPI, has been declining. So just as, a, uh, as an example, the food at home year-on-year price variation dropped from around 13% in mid-2022 to 1.3% in December 2023. So we're seeing that core CPI uh, is slowing down. And, but we expect CPI inflation to remain above 3% in 2024. And that is because supply side factors and sticky shelter inflation will contribute to that. So, for example, housing has been far more resilient than expected and also consumer expenditure. Uh, nevertheless, uh, inflation is likely to continue to converging towards the target the 2% target in 2024. So that's that's good news. I know obviously that has some implications in terms of uh, uh, monetary policy that we can also discuss. Right, yeah. And you highlighted the complexities at the uh, um, about consumer expectations and particularly regarding year-round availability, organic produce, re- reducing plastic usage, um, so that's all things that we, as an industry, we need to keep in mind that the consumer is kind of driving forward, whether it makes sense to us or not. Some of the things seem crazy to us. Some of them uh, are uh, do make sense. Um, but how can growers and retailers address these kind of conflicting demands, but still re- remain profitable? Yeah, well, that that that's a great question because now. Uh, several industries have been um, now feeling the pressure of us uh, uh, oversupply. We can mention, for example, now uh, uh, seems like in 2023 there were the the, the apple crop was uh, larger than than expected and larger than in the previous year, bringing uh, prices uh, down. So there is price pressure on a lot of uh, different commodities, and uh, you need to keep um, uh, quality consistent. And uh, probably you're referring to a set of uh, seemingly conflicting desires that I mentioned that uh, consumers have, right? That on the one hand, they want fresh produce year-round, but at the same time, they want it to be locally grown when when uh, that is not uh, uh, possible and uh, also, they want um, perfect quality, but at the same time, they want it to be organic or with less use of pesticides, things like that. 
And also they want more convenience, but at the same time, they want uh, the industry to use uh, to reduce the use of plastic. And on top of that, like to have um, affordable, affordable food on top of all those uh, challenges. So that's been uh, that's that continues to be a challenge for the for for the industry. And the only way to uh, that uh, uh, growers will will remain uh, profitable is through innovation and also to increase e efficiency. So I'm excited to see how all those like uh, how the industry will be increasingly adopting new technologies to be uh, more efficient to reduce the the need for uh, for labor. That is another challenge as well, and to be to make more efficient the labor that is that is available. And now, for example, artificial intelligence offers a huge amount of uh, applications. That at this point, I, I, I think we will be surprised uh, how many applications we will see in the next months or years. Um, uh, some some applications that uh, are hard to imagine. At, at this point. So, um, yeah, as I said, innovation will have to be continued to be the key. But bringing this back to, uh, to the macroeconomic forces, obviously for all this uh, investment that is needed to bring innovation and remain uh, efficient and competitive, obviously the cost of capital is, uh, is, is a key factor to, to monitor. So, um, having said that, and, and, and bringing the discussion back to these uh, macroeconomic variables, we see that uh, the inflation has been uh, coming down and uh, the economic growth uh, continues to be um, surpassing expectations. So the U.S. economy in 2023 grew more than 2% year on year. And for 2024, we're expecting something about uh, 0.7% increase. So unlike previous economic cycles where a recession was needed to break the backbone of persistent inflation, uh, this time soft landing seems like it's a true possibility. So uh, we are expecting that if we face a technical recession, uh, we are expecting it to be just a couple of consecutive quarters with uh, negative 0.1% variation or something similar. So given this backdrop of uh, inflation above 3% and unemployment below 5%, uh, the incentives for an aggressive easing cycle in terms of uh, interest rates uh, are not particularly strong. So we see that uh, interest rates will be cut uh, this year. Um, uh, three times. So we're expecting three 25 basis point rate cuts in the second half of 2024. That is in June, September, December. And also it is worth noting that, uh, that uh, rates are not high from a historical perspective, although those increased uh, quite fast and, and higher than many uh, were expecting. However, we don't see a return of uh, to a zero percent Fed rate, and, and instead we're expecting a cycle low of about uh, three or three and a half percent um, in the next few years. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's good news. Um, you also explained the the trouble of El Nino and uh, how it will impact different areas of the globe this year. And I can say that your prediction for the Southeast U.S. was dead on. Here in Florida, the sun hasn't it didn't come out for weeks during Christmas, and and it was very our first time experiencing that here. It's always sunny every day here, so it's um it's been cold and rainy despite this is normally our dry season. So uh, I can I know you were totally right about that, about it being cold and wet over here. So how do you see the weather going or, or will that remain a problem through 2024? Well, uh, it's, it's always challenging to uh, predict the weather a few weeks or uh, in advance, not let alone months or, or years. However, given the um, this cycle, and the prevalence of El Nino uh, during the 23, 24 winter season, uh, we were expecting, uh, for example, the weather in California to be cold and wet. So uh, it hasn't been as cold or as wet as many would have expected. So just to mention, um, just a brief recap of what I said uh, before, 21 and 22, where uh, uh, we were in the middle of a severe drought in California and other places as well, but I will focus on on, on Central California and Southern California. And then uh, 2023, we had an exceptionally wet year. So uh, 13 atmospheric rivers hit the state during, during, um, during the winter. And then we had a, an unusual amount of uh, snow and rain. So the snowpack was uh, uh, 200% of historical averages um, a year ago. So that is at uh, the beginning of uh, February 2023. And this year, um, this winter, December was rather dry. And we had some rain in, in January and we also uh, we just experienced a couple of atmospheric rivers over the past few days. But just to see the contrast, uh, the snowpack two weeks ago was 60% of historical average. So we are oh. still not uh, uh, mm-hmm. on the historical average. So definitely it's been drier than, than, than expected for, a, for an El Nino winter. We'll see how this um, the rest of the water uh, year continues to be. Uh, but at this point, we are now approaching a very critical um, 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 season that is the uh, almond bloom season that is mm-hmm. uh, just starting these days. And weather conditions during pollination determine in a, in a big way uh, the yields for this year. So now, like uh, we're expecting uh, some favorable conditions for 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 almond pollination, and we're likely going to see a uh, larger crop in 2024 compared to the previous two years that were were um, uh, exceptionally challenging. 2022 very dry, as I said, and 2023 it was during pollination season. The weather conditions where uh, it was raining, or it was cold, or it was windy, or all of the above. So that really reduced bee activity during pollination 
and that was reflected in lower uh, almond yields during the 2023 year. Yeah, makes sense. Very interesting. And what opportunities and challenges do you foresee for the U.S. Um, in the international market? And what state steps can be taken to enhance our competitiveness? Uh, that's 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 a that's a good one. That uh, goes in the um, in the areas of uh, challenges and opportunities that are always present. But for example, uh, for this year, um, we've seen that the dollar has been quite strong against uh, many many currencies. So uh, the this exchange rate obviously is a is a key component of. Uh, U.S. export competitiveness. So, despite that increase, uh, that strength of the dollar against the the euro or the or the yen and the yuan, we've seen that exports have been tracking well. Um, particularly, if we see almond exports, pistachio exports, those have been tracking well this this market year so far. Just um, as, uh, for instance, uh, pistachio exports year to day are up uh, 102% compared to the uh, shipments last mm -hmm. year. So we see some uh, consumer confidence that is improving, as well as uh, always like good logistics always help with, uh, with exports. So on the other hand, we see in terms of exports and U.S. competitiveness, um, I can mention, for example, the, the exception of uh, exchange rates um, in terms of the strength of foreign currencies is the Mexican peso, which has been outstandingly strong over the past few months. And uh, given that strength of the peso, that improves the competitiveness of U.S. exports to Mexico. So that is key for uh, diverse industries. For example, Mexico is the primary market for uh, U.S. dairy products and also for uh, U.S. apples. And um, now for, for U.S. potatoes, for U.S. fresh potatoes, um, the, the Mexican government um, now granted access, full access to fresh U.S. potatoes into the Mexican market starting last year. So now we've seen uh, exports to Mexico increasing. And given this favorable um, exchange rate, uh, Mexico is, uh, is, um, is likely to become the largest export market for fresh U.S. potatoes uh, mm -hmm. in the next year or so, so surpassing, surpassing Canada. So that is in terms of... Uh, competitiveness that's uh, that's a piece of uh, good news and on the flip side we there are some uh, factors that may impact uh, logistics and already disrupting logistics so uh, such as geopolitics right particularly what has been happening in the Middle East in the Red Sea uh, that may uh, cause significant uh, disruptions in global trade uh, because particularly all the trade that is going from, from China to Europe has to go through the Red Sea and then the Suez Canal. So if there are some disruptions there, uh, as, they, uh, as there are now, 
Um, if that continues, that may cause some uh, lack of availability of containers because now some of these vessels will have to travel all around Africa to go to Europe. And that will put additional time and additional yeah. cost. So, uh, and potentially it will be needing like this container taking uh, twice as much twice as much time to get to the final destination. So those containers, instead of uh, making two or three, I mean, three or four round trips, now that's going to be reduced probably to two round trips. So yeah. we may be uh, seeing um, hopefully not not as big of a problem as we observed in uh, by the end of 2021 and during 2022, all these logistic bottlenecks. But that is uh, that those uh, disruptions are are not going to help with uh, competitiveness, with uh, cost, and with um, availability of containers. I mean, situation is different now because some of these uh, big ocean carriers, they have been investing uh, to increase the capacity. However, um, any of these disruptions is not is, is, is not going to help. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, uh, besides all the potential volatility that we will see in terms of uh, energy prices and uh, potentially input prices as well. So those are the risks that are looming uh, going into uh, the 2024 uh, crop year. Yeah, good points too about about that. <clears throat> and hopefully, well, I, I know a lot of uh, manufacturers, a lot of a lot of companies have shored up their you know their dependence on on foreign products and are and are sourcing things from the u.s now which hopefully will give it give us a little bit of a buffer when uh, uh when those those things start ha happening if you know that yeah 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 definitely the, the onshoring french shoring mm -hmm. or near shoring whatever however you want to call it that's been a process that uh it's been intensifying over the past couple of years given the massive disruptions that we observed since uh, since COVID, and then when, uh, in the period between 2020 and 2022, so and we will continue to see some of these uh, French shoring, onshoring occurring um, in the next few years. So, particularly, uh, some companies are relocating to to the US, but mostly uh, some of them those are also relocating uh, from Asia. To, to Mexico, so we will see that um, uh, that trend to continue. And having said that, that will have some ripple effects as well in terms of the uh, labor markets, because uh, the demand for labor, although it's not the same uh, uh, labor pool as in the, um, uh, as, as, as farm workers, but the demand for labor will continue to increase in places such as Mexico. Right. Yeah. So I guess there's there's a lot of bright spots and then there's a lot to be wary of. So what is your advice to growers in 2024? Well, 
just like highlighting the the bright spots, uh, seems like uh, uh, now final inflation is coming down from persistent elevated levels in the past couple of uh, of years, um, and uh, seems like also fertilizer prices and input prices are going to uh, have been coming down from elevated levels in 2022, uh, lower levels in 2023, and we're expecting, barring any disruption from these geopolitical aspects, uh, we are expecting uh, fertilizer prices to be uh, more affordable in 2024 compared to the previous two, uh, two seasons. So uh, just to, to, to highlight that one, and uh, also, uh, the cost of borrowing uh, will uh, start to decline uh, by the second half of this year. So that's another piece of uh, of, of good news uh, for for growers. So yeah, try to try to make the most out of that and uh, uh, have a good uh, management of all the resources. So so, but um, I mean, if we go back to what I said before that uh, we've we had some oversupply in different uh, in different industries. Just to mention, um, uh, in the past few months, I've been able to go to different uh, conferences and seems like uh, at this point, we're producing too many apples, too many walnuts, too many uh, uh, table grapes, too much, too many uh, wine grapes, things like that. So on the one hand, that seems to be uh, one positive aspect is that the industry is so good at what they do mm. that is uh, sometimes seems like it's easy to oversupply on a specific market, right? So now the opportunity is just to uh, be growing any specific crop wherever you are the most efficient and not try to uh, just uh, produce in marginal areas and things like that. So that's that's a challenge uh, for the whole industry. Try to see where you can be efficient enough to remain profitable and not to, obviously, it's, it's challenging to identify the business cycles where you are like uh, either in the oversupply or the deficit side. So that's that's a challenge for the, for the industry. But I, I mean, Highlighting again the the bright spots, we are now seeing that in general some macroeconomic aspects, including the cost, um, uh, have been coming down. So, given now um, inflation coming down, we see um, uh, consumer confidence is likely to to improve, and uh, so on the demand side, that's another an, an, another positive aspect to to highlight. Yeah, that's great. And um, also, tell us about Rabobank and uh, and what you guys do and what you're all about. Yeah, so uh, uh, Rabo Rabobank is uh, is a, a a bank based in the Netherlands, and uh, we have presence in almost forty countries. And outside the Netherlands, uh, we only do uh, food and ag, which is being the core for the bank. So. Um, um, you will not see a Rabobank branch outside outside the Netherlands. So we merely focus on, on food and ag. That's what we do best. And uh, two things uh, that make uh, Rabobank unique. One, or I already mentioned, 
focus on food and ag, so we are fully committed to this industry. Uh, we are not here just to diversify risk, but is 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 all we do, and it, it's all we've been doing for the past 125 years. Wow. And uh, another uh, uh, aspect that makes Rabobank unique is a large Rabo research group. So I'm part of a group uh, that of analysts that we globally cover all the links in the food value chain. Uh, starting from farm inputs all the way to consumer foods and everything in between. So, uh, as I said at the beginning of the of this uh, conversation, I cover uh, fresh produce and also tree nuts, and I'm part of a global team. So I have colleagues in South America, Australia, New Zealand, in Europe, and we collaborate and uh, we do research, we publish reports, and we supply those. Uh, free of charge to our clients as a value add uh, to their relationship. Yeah, amazing. And I have one last question for you. Why do you serve the industry and what are you most passionate about? About the industry? Well, I, I really like the mission that Rabobank has is growing a better world together. So um, if uh, if we can... Uh, have any uh, a positive impact on the industry and uh, feeding the world and producing uh, sustainability, uh, pr producing food to feed the world. That is what uh, drives me. That gives me motivation, and I'm passionate about this industry. I've been involved, as I said, I, I'm, I've been involved with uh, the ag industry all my life, and uh, this is this is what I, I what I like to do, and. Uh, um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. And uh, so where can people find you and where can they find Rabobank? Well, well Rabobank, you can, you can find uh, online, rabobank.com. Uh, my, my email address is david.magana, M-A-G-A-N-A, at rabobank.com. And uh, I, I'm a, I also have a LinkedIn account with my, my name, David Magana. And uh, you can find also some of the summaries of the reports that we published uh, online. Uh, so our group, we call it like uh, food, food and Agribusiness Research, also known as, as FAR within, within the bank. So you're, um, you will be able to, to see some of the uh, summaries of the reports that we published. And uh, the full reports are uh, exclusive for our clients. So as I, as I always say, if you're a Rabo Bank or Rabo Refinance clients, you 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 get you should get those. And if you're not a client yet, don't worry, we can fix that in the near future. <laughs> I apologize about the English plug. Yeah, love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, David, for joining me today. Great information. Th thank you for the opportunity. And thanks to all who are watching or listening. If you want to learn more, the links are provided in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Listen Notes. And you can also find us on Rumble, YouTube, or Telegram, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this episode, I'd love it if you shared it. Have a great day. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? 
Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit Fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to NorthAmericanAg.com slash Fastline hyphen webinar. That's NorthAmericanAg.com slash Fastline hyphen webinar to register now.